This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. I'm excited to continue our series today called Ordinary. What we're talking about is how God wants to use the ordinary in our lives to make an extraordinary difference in the world around us. Um, this last year, I went camping with my brother-in-law, and from time to time, we'll take a group of guys, and we'll go out fishing, and, and this time, it just happened to be me and him. Nobody else wanted to go. They were busy doing things, so I think we had worked half the day, and we decided we we're going to head up to the mountains, and so we kind of loaded up, and we headed to the mountains. We were kind of tired from the day, and, and so when it started getting dark, we decided that we we're just going to call it a night early, so we set up our tent, and we get inside of our tent, and, and I had I have kind of learned over the I've been camping up there since probably like 12 years old. So I set up a cot. I'm on the cot. He's on the floor. And like set up my, my, my cot or whatever, and I'm, I'm, we decide we're going to go to sleep. So we lay there, and uh, we're falling asleep. I mean, it's kind of like where I'm like half in of sleep, half, half awake. And, and my brother-in-law, like it's really quiet, and it's dark outside. And he, he gives me the old snick, and I'm like, yeah. And so we start having this like conversation, right? And he's like, I don't mean to be weird or anything, but I think there might be a bear outside the tent. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, right, buddy. I know it's a little scary outside and stuff, but we need to, like, we're adults here. There's not a bear outside. I've been camping up here since I was 12 years old. Okay, I've been camping up there since I was 12 years old. I've never one time seen a bear. This is so high in elevation. So I'm, like, trying to coach. I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, it's probably not a bear. It's probably, like, a raccoon or, you know, like a rock badger or something like that. And, and he's like, I don't know. The only way I know how to describe it is it just sounds like a really big dog rubbing his nose against the tent. And I'm like pretty sure it's not a bear. Just like, go back to sleep. Like, it's going to be okay. We're going to wake up in the morning. And so, and so we close our eyes. He's like, okay, you know, like, it's, it's probably not. You're right. You know, you're right. And so uh, we go back to sleep. And it's probably a couple hours later, probably a couple hours later. And I don't know why, but I'm, as I'm laying there on my cot, my eyes just instinctually did just open. And as they open, the tent comes crashing down towards my face. As it, it was like, it was like I just turned into, I, I don't even know, it was like an instinct. I barrel rolled out of, out of my cot. I don't even know what a barrel roll is, but I know that's what I did. Like it was, it was a barrel roll, like shoulder first. And like, I, I, I had my sidearm in my sleeping bag. So I barrel roll out of my cot. I load my sidearm and I stand up and I'm pointing, I don't know where I'm pointing, but the, but the top of the, of the, of the tent is like all net. So you can see, but it's pitch black out. So I start yelling at my brother-in-law and I'm yelling, get your light, get your light. I'm yelling, get your light. He's like in a panic. And I, I look over. I look over at him and he's sitting there putting on his shoes and I'm like, what are you doing putting on your shoes? Like, get your light, get your light. So I guess in my panic, as I'm thinking, I'm saying, get your light, get your light. I'm actually saying, get your shoes, get your shoes. And so he's, <laughs> he's sitting there putting on his shoes. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? And so he finally gets his light and, and, and I say, point, put your light out there. And so he shines his light and probably 15, not yards, 15 feet from our tent is this big old 350 pound bear looking right at us. And there's like this commotion. He like drops his light. It's like chaos in the tent. We finally, we finally get the light again and the bear takes off and our lives are spared. We look at the tent and they're, I'm not even kidding, they're little claw marks that scrape through the tent where I could have died and I'm, I'm here and I'm alive, but I could have died. Um, it's funny, it's a funny story to tell and really dangerous, really crazy story. But when I look back on it, you know, as he told me, like, you were telling me to get my shoes. I'm like, get your shoes. Like, why would I even be thinking about shoes? Like, I, I, it, my intentions were to tell him to get his light, yet out of my mouth, I'm saying, get your shoes. I think we have these moments in life where we have really great intentions, right? Maybe you've experienced something like this. It's like you have these great intentions for your life, but when you look at the decisions that you're making in life, the decisions do not mirror your intentions. I think uh, this is kind of the, the, the subject matter that we've been talking about. In our lives, I think built into humanity 
is this desire to make a difference, to know that when our lives are done here on earth, that it mattered, that our lives counted for something, that we weren't just occupying a space in this system, in this world, but actually that I existed for a purpose. And when I was gone, my footprint has been left, that I made a difference. Last week, we talked about how this desire, I don't believe is just by default. I believe it's really by design. And I think it confirms it in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long, ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. We broke this scripture down, this first part. It is God himself who has made us what we are. Understanding that the way that, that we perceive the world, the way that we think, the desires that we have, the ambitions that we have in life, the dreams that we have in life, God has given us those things. This, this whole concept of authenticity is not something that, that we came up with in our modern civilization type society. No, this is something that God has put within our hearts. And not only has he given us dreams, not only does God desire for us to be authentic, but he's given us an empowerment to achieve those things. This is the part of the scripture where it says he's given us new lives from Christ Jesus. What does that mean? We believe as followers of Christ that we no longer have to be held captive uh, to things that normally would have kept us from achieving the things that we desire to achieve. Things like our past, maybe bad decisions that we made in our life that we can past press those, past, uh, past those, those bad decisions in our life and we can move on to actually accomplish things that we have in our heart to accomplish. Maybe you might think that I, I can never amount to the things that I desire to amount to because of the family that I grew up in. We believe as followers of Christ that not only do we have uh, you know, a God who wants us to be authentic, but he's given us this ability to be able to achieve the things he's purposed for us to achieve. But it doesn't just end there because if life was just about having dreams and achieving dreams, then our existence still would be extremely selfish. This is why God has a plan and this is his plan. He planned long ago that we should spend these lives in helping others. In other words, we put it into a statement like this. God didn't just save us from something. God saved us for something. There's a reason that we're here. There's a job that we're supposed to accomplish. And that is using our lives as we're working our jobs, as we're living our day-to-day lives as parents and school teachers, as librarians and contractors, to use our occupation to somehow make a difference in the world around us. Last week, we talked about things that keep us from doing that. The first one that we talked about was fear. This may be a fear of people, fear of what people might think. Uh, if I step out to do something and maybe society doesn't really agree with it or appreciate it, we talked about the predominant fear that we have is not having enough. How can I help people when I have my own needs myself? We made this statement. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Even in the midst of your greatest needs in life, God has given you something that you can use to make a difference. Maybe it is a resource. Maybe it's something that you have that you can use to make an impact in the life of somebody else. Maybe it's not a resource. Maybe it's an idea or a thought or an encouragement. Regardless, God wants to use whatever it is that you have to make a difference. You can't do everything, but you can do something. The second thing we talked about that keeps us from making a difference in the world around us are delusions. We look at our life. Here's, here's one. We think that this is all that there is. Like we, we know it's not, especially as followers of Christ, as people that are pursuing our journey in spirituality. We understand that this isn't all that there is. We come to terms at some point in our life that 
you know what, I'm going to make the choice to believe that there is an eternity, a forever somewhere that I spend forever in heaven or hell for us as Christians. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, yet we get so intoxicated um, by, by, by the busyness of life, don't we? It's like the rat race, and we find, find out that we're just getting up to, 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 to go to work, to come home, to have dinner with the family, to go to sleep and get it up, do it, do it all again. At the end of our lives, what do we have to show for it? Even though we believe these things, when we look at the decisions we're making in life, our decisions Decisions, again, don't match up with our intentions. Another delusion is the idea that someone else will do it. I think this one comes, uh, you know, I didn't talk about it last week, but I think it comes from this, we still have this, I don't know, thought in the back of our mind that we're still unqualified for making a difference. Maybe for you, it just makes you uncomfortable. Maybe your personality type isn't geared to where, you know, you like to have interactions with other people. And so you think, man, that's somebody's, somebody else's job to do, especially when it comes, I think, to the local church. We, we, we come to church, right? We, when we see, you know, everybody that works for the church, the ministers, the, the, the people that are the pastors or the speakers or the teachers, uh, we see those people as the ministers. And, and I want to kind of re-emphasize on this because I, I talked about it last week, but I think it's so revolutionary that it has the ability to actually change the way that you live your life. I want to talk about it again. When it, in the Bible, when the Bible talks about ministry, it actually talks about the people that work for the church, the pastors, the preachers, the teachers, the church leaders. They're actually not the ministers. It actually says that their responsibility is to train the saints or the people that attend the church, the Christians, for the work of the ministry. So what am I saying? I'm saying you are a minister. And sometimes it's hard to see yourself as that because you think, I just work a job. Like I'm not, I'm not in ministry, but I'm here to tell you, to, to remind you that no, you are. When you use your life to make a difference, you're a minister. So you may be thinking to yourself, I'm just a lawyer. No, you practice law, but, but being a lawyer is your ministry. You're actually helping people through some of the most difficult times that they will ever face in their lives. You're helping them navigate. You're standing up for justice in the lives of those that would never be able to, to maybe stand up for it themselves. Uh, you may be saying today, well, I'm just a landscaper. I'm a gardener. No, you're not just a landscaper or a gardener. You are providing a service that has great peace of mind and ease to people who are living chaotic, busy lives that are stressed out, many of them struggling just to, just to keep up with life. And here you have this ability through something that God has given you to relieve some of that stress from somebody. Through your hands, you are crafting landscapes that breathes air and, and life into weary souls of people be, by just being able to look at the greatness of God's creation. You're not just a gardener. You're not just a landscaper. You're a minister. I could do this all day long. You are not just a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. In your life, maybe you, you may not be appreciated like you should be, but you know what? You are using your life to pour into your children. You're building future leaders for a cause, people that are gonna, they're going to run and to, to, to rule the land that, that we live in. They're going to be politicians and doctors, and they're going to be all of these great things. Why? Because you're taking time in your life to invest in them. You are not just anything. You are a minister, Here's what ministry is. Ministry is using your life to help others. So it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. When you use your life to make a difference, to help somebody, you are a minister. The last thing that we talked about that keeps us from making a difference is this idea of comparison. This idea that I can't make a difference because I'm not like them. We put it into a statement like this. We said, God doesn't expect you to be something that you're not. Because God expecting you to be something you're not would be God expecting you to be something he never made you to be. God desires that we would take our lives, 
the ordinary of our lives and be able to make a difference in the world around us. And so I want to continue our conversation today as we kind of pick up where we left off. We talked about if this is God's plan, how do we do it? And so we introduced this this idea, um, and, and at first glance it can kind of seem really simple, but the way that we affect change in the world around us is the same way that God affected change in our lives. And it's through this great power that he gives us, this ability to love. And when you first hear it, you think, well, that just seems way too simple. So I want to kind of dig into it a little bit here. Um, In the book of John, it says it like this. Love one another in the same way that I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. So I love this scripture. It starts out, love one another. Now, if he would have stopped there, it would have been really great because then I can decide how I want to love people. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, don't just love one another. In the same way that I loved you, love one another. Now, when I stop and think about this, man, this is really challenging. When I think about the way God loves me, when I think about the way that Christ loved people, how did Jesus love people? He was willing to allow his reputation to be damaged for the sake of reaching out to people. He was willing to break the rules and challenge the religious establishment for the sake of loving people. He was willing to get down in the dirt with people that should have known better and still chose to do wrong. And he'd pull them out of their mess and tell them, tell them you know what, it's okay, you're going to make it. I love you even though you're undeserving of love. And God says, Love one another, but don't just love one another how you want to love one another. In the same way that I love you, love one another. This is the simplicity of the gospel, right? For God so loved the world he gave. And as Christians, we must live with the conviction that if love was enough, right, the simplicity of love, if love was enough to get us connected to God, then love is still enough for us to be able to show love to others to get them on their journey towards their relationship with Christ. Amen? So, when we talk about this idea of love, when we talk about this concept of love, what are we really talking about? 1 Corinthians 13, if you've ever done like a good devotional, this is probably one that pops up first in 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to kind of define what this idea of love is and how important it really is. It says this, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't have love... I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. In other words, if I can impress you with my words, I'm really articulate. If I can say things in a way that's really mesmerizing, but I don't have love, I'm nothing but annoying. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, literal mountain, jump, and it jumps. I tell a mountain to move, and the literal mountain moves, but I don't have love, I have nothing. So if I'm real spiritual and I seem to be operating the power of God, but I don't have love, the Bible says... But I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, and I even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, to to be willing to die for the things that I believe, but I don't have love, if I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, right, to make people happy, to make religion happy, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. Says this, so no matter what I say, think about this today, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, and no matter what I do. I'm bankrupt without love. This is how big this concept is. This is how big this idea is. And then it begins to detail out what love is. And I want to read it just so that we can feel bad about how horrible we are at this love thing. Okay, so you're going to kind of see pretty quick. Um, I won't won't expand on them because I think they're self-explanatory. Love is very patient and kind. It's never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud 
Never haughty or selfish or rude. I'm out, right? Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Wow. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. It says this, if you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him. You will always expect the best of him and always stand your ground in defending him. This idea of love is huge. In fact, in the, in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul said it like this. He said, the entire law, the entire Bible, so the entire Bible, right, that we're supposed to devote our lives to understanding and learning is summed up in one single sentence, one commandment. And here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we think, wow, that's really simple, right? Until we understand what love really is. And then we begin to understand that my life's work is to be devoted to being better at love because it is love that shows people God. It's love that shows people God. You know, the scripture is actually, uh, he's actually quoting a conversation that happened between Jesus and this guy who was, he, he studied religious law. And so this guy had come to, to Jesus one day, as the religious people of the day kind of did. They, they didn't like Jesus because he was an anomaly. He was kind of uh, against everything that, like, the religious establishment was against. He was kind of breaking all of the rules, so to speak. So they were always trying to corner him, to discredit him, but they never seemed to be able to. So they came to him one day, and they had this conversation about, you know, how do I get to heaven? They go back and forth, and they come to, to, to an agreement that the way that you love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And so then this, this teacher of the religious law, uh, he asked the question, and he asked this question that probably a lot of us, us will be thinking when we begin to understand what love is. If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, the question is, who is my neighbor? Who does God really expect me to love with my life? If I'm supposed to be all of those things to people, how do I decide who I'm showing this love that God has asked me to show to? And so we pick up with this story that Jesus tells in response to this man. You may be familiar with it. It goes like this. I think we can pull some thoughts out of here before we uh, take off today. It says this, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. So they stripped this guy of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. Well, by chance, a priest came along. But when the priest saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, other translations call this man a Levite, somebody that works at the church. He, he walked over, so he walks over. The second guy walks over and looks at him lying there, but then he also passes by on the other side. It says, then a despised Samaritan. Uh, now, it's interesting, Jesus chose to use a despised Samaritan because um, back in this day, racism was a big issue, just like it is today. And Samaritans were people that were despised, were looked down upon. So Jesus uses this man, a despised Samaritan, People that, some, you know, someone that people would frown upon. He comes along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I love this story because first and foremost, it makes it really clear. Jesus makes it really clear. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor 
for us as humanity. Our neighbor is anybody that we come across in life that's in need. But Jesus doesn't just stop with showing us who our neighbor is. He then goes on to show us what our tendency is going to be in response to encountering people in need. You see, we three, see three people represented in this story, but they're really not three people. They're really representative of three different attitudes, three different responses that really, if we're honest, we all probably have when we come in contact with need, when we come across need in our world. And so I want to talk about them. I think that maybe they can help us kind of frame into perspective how we can better use our life to make a difference. When we come across need, here's, here's one tendency, one response is that we can avoid. This is what the first guy did, right? Rather than acknowledge that there's hurt in the world, I'll just act like it doesn't exist. Because if I choose not to see the pain around me, then I don't have a responsibility. I might refuse to get close to people because if I get close to people, if I have meaningful relationships in my life, it may require something of me. We see this in our lives. You've probably seen this in your personal life. And, and yet we know that avoiding doesn't really help. Uh, we still have this tendency to do it, right? Maybe if you do this with, when it comes to your health, you have like a pain, you'll, you'll avoid it. And you'll find out that avoiding that pain doesn't make that pain any better. You may think in, in relationships, man, you get in arguments, you just brush them under the rug until one day what you explode and you have this big fight. And you know that avoiding the problem doesn't solve the problem. Uh, for me, and uh, I, I've experienced this when my, my first credit card, it was like, had like a $600 limit and I just lost my job. And so when I lost my job, I still needed to get places to go and apply for other jobs. And, and I needed gas and uh, to be able to, you know, drive my car and, and get around. So, so I decided I would, I would charge all of this stuff that I was needing for my life onto this credit card. Well, I wasn't able to get a job right away. And so uh, as, the pay, as the bill started coming in, I didn't have uh, the money that I needed to be able to make the minimum uh, payments. So rather than call the, the creditors and try to work something out, I just I did what we do sometimes. I just avoided the calls. Like I would, I would block the number. I would get the number off my phone. Every time my phone rang, like my, I, would just, I would just break into cold sweats. I don't know if you've ever, ever been there. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this is what's crazy. Because I avoided this problem, this $600 limit credit card turned into nearly a $10,000 debt. Because I avoided this problem. Because here's, here's the kind of the idea. Ignoring problems doesn't solve them. When we come across people that are in need, ignoring the problems that we see doesn't solve them. Maybe your personality is just geared a little bit more to, to not see tragedy in the world around you. Maybe you're the type of person that when you're watching TV and, and the story comes out about, about a murder or a tragedy or, or an economic crash or, or maybe a, a war or a famine, you immediately change the channel uh, I'm not saying that you need to, you know, watch more. But here's what I'm saying. When, when it comes to this idea of love your neighbor as yourself, you may think that I don't really love myself, but there are certain ways that you do. You are very aware of your own need. Are you aware of the needs of others? Do you even know that people are hurting? Are you slowing down in your life enough to, to acknowledge the pain in somebody else's life? The first tendency that we have to do is to avoid what do we have to do? We have to work on being able to slow down our life, to acknowledge that there is pain around us if we want God to be able to use us to make a difference. The second response that we have the tendency to make is just to observe. This is what the second guy does, right? He comes, comes to the man who's been stripped of his clothes. He's bloody, left for dead on the floor. And he comes over and he looks at the guy and says, oh, interesting. And then he crosses over to the other side of the road and walks on. This sounds crazy, right? But we do this all the time in our lives. We love to observe other people's pain. It sounds a bit sadistic, but, but when you think about it, this is really what you do in your life. Think about, like, literally, when you're driving past an automobile accident. What do most of us do? We break our necks trying to look and see what's going on, right? Very few of us actually stop. We love to see 
see, we hate to stop. When we look at our lives, we, we have this tendency. Think about the magazines that are most popular in our world. What are they? They're the ones that tell stories about people's scandals and their stories and their tragedies and their pain that's going on in their life. People buy it up. Why? Somehow it makes us feel better about our lives. Think about all the times this last week you said to somebody, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you see on social media that this happened? Did you see? Did you hear about uh, who's in the hospital with this? And, and, and we look at all of these things and, and we love to observe other people's pain, but we don't ever try to do something about it. We're just like this guy. I'm like this. I think about even this last week, how many times I had a conversation with somebody that was like that. Now, did you see such and such? And I ask myself the question, did you do anything, Nick, to even try to help the situation? You may think, well, you don't know them. What can you do? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Like, I maybe could have prayed for them. I maybe could have asked God, God, even in their time of need, I don't understand. And while we're all talking about it, I ask that you would help them, and I ask that you would be with them. But we have this tendency, this human tendency, it's really normal, to observe. I think there's a couple reasons. I think one is, is we, we buy into this idea that people deserve it right? We walk by, don't they know this came with the territory? This is the job they wanted to have. You put yourself in the public eye. You're bound to experience things like this, right? Or we say things like, well, if they would have made better decisions, they wouldn't have, you know, been in this situation. I'd actually talk to them about this, and I warned them if they didn't change their ways, they were going to find themselves in this scenario. Is that what God does with you? Huh? Is that what God does with us? Does he look at us where we are and say, I told you so? No, God, God, even in the midst of our greatest pain that, man, I got myself here. God, what does God do? He tells us it's going to be okay, and he helps us up, and he sends us on our way. The other idea, the other reason I think we just observe is because we're too busy. Right? I can't, wow, this is, this, is, <laughs> this is an incredible hurt, but you know, I got, I got things to do. I, I got kids I got to get to soccer practice. I got a job I got to get to. I got to go and serve at the church. I don't have time to help, Right? This is the idea I think I want to take away. If you're too busy to help someone in need, just maybe you're too busy. If you want God to be able to use you, and really you do, this is where you're going to find fulfillment in life. If you want God to be able to use the ordinary in your life to make an extraordinary difference, you have to create space for it. You have to create space to to maybe be able to slow down so that I can actually have time to help people in my daily interactions in life. You see, because it's not just enough to see the need. We have to move past just being able to see the need, and we have to begin to to try to understand the need. Because we're very aware of the needs that we have, and we understand our own needs, and what do we do? We wish that everybody would understand our needs like we do. What does this look like? We're going to have to go past just seeing the lady crying in the supermarket, and we're going to have to be willing to be uh, put in a position where it may not be comfortable, but to say, hey, ma'am, are you doing okay? To start conversation, not just to be able to observe the pain, but to be able to understand. I was recently on a trip this past year with a group of, um, a group of people that, that I work with, and we were at this conference, and we happened to be in a, in a, in a grocery store just like this, and we were just buying some, some food because we are going to go back and cook. And there was these, this group of girls, and they were over in the corner, and they were just crying. And I, I could tell something was wrong, and sometimes people, uh, you know, my parents could be a little bit crazy. So one of the ladies that I was with, I was like, hey, and she's, they're crying over there. Maybe you can go talk to them. And so she went over there and, and, and talked to these girls, and, and these girls were, like, just devastated because they didn't know how they were going to eat. They had deposited their, their check, but it didn't clear, and they had no food in the house. And so we got together, and we had this conversation. We're like, let's just let's buy their food. Let's, let's pull together, and let's, let's make this happen. And so that's what we did. But that never would have happened if all we did was see the need. We can't just see the need. We have to begin to have interaction, right, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to begin to understand to understand who? People that are different than you. 
I love, it's one of my favorite sayings, that it's impossible to hate someone whose story you know. Everybody's just a face. Everybody's just another, you know, demographic. Everybody's just another person in this, in this, this, this world, the this system that we live in, until you begin to have conversation with them. You know what? You begin to find out, wow, you're, we're kind of a little bit alike. We're both just looking for love. We both just want to be understood. We both just want to know that my life meant something while I was here on earth. Because it's those things, being able to see and to observe and to interact and understand that finally lead us to the third response, and that's to act, to act, to take action. Luke 10. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he didn't just see the man, he didn't just see the need, he understood, he felt compassion for him. And this understanding, this compassion, it moved him to to act. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. I love this part because he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Why? This This guy's not a doctor. This is simply the things that he had. He had these things with him. He used the wine to disinfect and the olive oil to heal. This is the great thing about God. God's not asking you to do something you can't already do. He's asking you to use the things that you have with you, to use the experiences that you have with you to make a life, just like this, this man did. All he had with him was olive oil and wine, but you know what? It was enough. It was enough to bandage the wounds of this wounded individual. And then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. I love this story because this is a picture of our ordinary lives. Maybe you're not coming across somebody that's literally been attacked by bandits, but, but you're, you're encountering people in similar situations. People going through a divorce. People who lost a loved one. People who lost their jobs. And they feel just like this man that has been attacked by bandits. I never thought I'd find myself in this position. And God has called us as followers of Christ to not be people that just avoid pain, to not be people that just observe pain, but to be people who acknowledge that there is need in the world and to use the things that he has given us to make a difference. This series is all about this statement. God wants to use the ordinary in your life to make an extraordinary difference. And I think it's, I think it's more easy than you think. There's one last group of people I think I just want to talk to before we leave today. And you may be here today and you say, Nick, yeah, I, I get it. I really want to be better at the stuff that you're talking about. I need to be better at seeing the need. I need to be better at, at not just observing, but being moved with compassion to understand because really I need to be better at acting, helping people. But if I'm really honest with you, if I'm really honest with you, when I see this story, I'm the person that's left for dead. I'm the person who's in a situation today that I never thought I would be in. Maybe that's you today. Maybe today at whatever campus you're at, maybe you're the one who's hurting. Maybe you lost a loved one this week. Maybe you've been in and out of the hospital with people that you care about. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you, you always thought that you would have a great marriage. Maybe your kids, you say, man, I did a better job raising them. I just never thought that they'd be making decisions like this. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you got a bad doctor's diagnosis today. I want you to know that God knows, that God cares. And just because 
You may be down and out in life right now does not mean that it's over. One of my favorite scriptures in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, it says this, that God makes beauty out of ashes. God makes beauty out of ashes. What situation in your life today is nothing but an ash pile? Maybe it's your vocational life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your relationship between you and your brother. Maybe it's your past. What in your life is nothing but a pile of ashes? Because God, our God, has this magnificent way of taking ashes and making beauty. Here's what I'm saying today. Sometimes in the midst of our pain, it's hard to see past our pain. But our God is magnificent for his taking pain and giving it purpose. In our life, sometimes this is why people say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. No, not really. That makes, us, that makes us feel better. But everything bad in your life is not from God. Only good things come from God. But the reason sometimes we think that, sometimes we think everything happens for a reason because God is able to take everything that happens and give it a purpose. Even in the midst of your dark situation, God can use it to help somebody else. We see this all the time, right? The person that was abused now can help others that are abused. It's not over. It may seem dark, but you're going to come through. You're going to come out of it, and God's going to use it to help somebody else. I, I've seen this in, in my own life. In my own life. You know, when me and my wife first got married, um, we had both were, were in a schooling program, and uh, I would just head over heels in love with her, and so we hadn't even really dated much because we'd been in this, in this program together, and um, so when I graduated, I actually proposed on the night of my graduation. She was still going through school, I proposed on the night of my graduation to her, and then we got married just a few months later, and, um, and we're so excited about it, but as soon as, as we, we got married, we, we, we woke up, and I don't know if you've been, been here before, but we were like, wow, we're really different people, and we hadn't spent a lot of time, like, dating, and so we had a lot of complications in our marriage early on. I'm talking, like, I mean, it's just embarrassing stuff, just, like, really intense fights, talking about getting divorced, like, are we even meant for each other? And by this point, we had already had our first child. Like, I'm not going to live my life miserable like this. And she said, I'm not going to live my life miserable like this. People storming out of the house, I'm leaving, she's leaving. But we were committed, we, we said, you know, we got to fight through this. we got to find a way, because it's more than this. And you've maybe experienced this, either in a marriage, you're too much alike, or you're too different. Uh, but we decided we are going to fight through it. And and we've been able to get to a place in our marriage now where things are awesome, and I love my wife, and she loves me, and, and things are good. But this last week, uh, you know, we were, we were hanging out with some friends, and these are things that we never talk about because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to talk about that you've had marriage problems or that you have issues in your life. And we're out with these friends, and they just started voicing some of the things that we were going through. And we're like, wow, that's what we went through. And so we were able to coach them even in the middle of of their need to be able to help them. Now, we got in the car later and fought some more, but it was okay. In that moment, <laughs> just being real with you, but in that moment, this is, my, this is my point. God can take pain in your life, and even when you can't see an outcome, one day, one day he's going to use it to help somebody else. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. Fight in your life to make big problems small. Fight in your life to make big problems. Don't let anything be a big deal. I, you know, I'm reminded of the story of Jesus. There's this story of Jesus and his disciples. He says, hey, we're going to the other side. And they get in the, the boat and there's this big storm, right? There's this big storm that almost takes them under. And they're like freaking out and Jesus is asleep. He's taking a nap and he gets up and he says something like, oh, you have little faith. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I, I said, we're going to the other side. What these people saw is a life altering experience. Oh, our life is almost over. Jesus saw as a great opportunity to take a nap. In other words, it wasn't a big deal. 
As a Christian, you have promises from God. You're going to the other side. Don't be moved by situations. It's not a big deal. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God makes beauty out of ashes. God makes beauty out of ashes. Because really, this story is a whole lot bigger than just who we're supposed to be to our neighbor. Because at some point in our life, we were just like the man that had been attacked by bandits, stripped of our self-worth, whether it be by our mistakes or our failures or the things that disqualified us from being righteous. And God sent a Samaritan for us. And his name was Jesus. And he was despised and he was rejected by man. He was the person that everybody else frowned upon. But he came and he bandaged our wounds and he connected us back to someone who would take care of us as long as we lived. And that is God that we serve. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.